Hello, do you hear me? Oh, you hear me? Awesome. Yes, we do. Oh, so, you, oh, so you're iPad two. I'm iPad. I don't know, sometimes I'm iPad one or three. Mm. The other day I was three. Okay, good to see you guys. Good to see you wait. too. Yeah. We're gonna wait another couple of minutes till we get started because we're a little bit early. Hi, Jordan. Hello. Welcome aboard. Do you have a chumash with you? I've got grab one. Back on my if you have, grab a chumash. Vayikra. Shalom, Batya. Hey. Hello. Mm -hmm. How are you? I have to move because the light is... Let's give it up. I'm going to just give it up. I can't figure out how to get away from it. Seven o'clock. Okay. And we're going to start. Um, so good evening, everybody. Uh, we're at a funny crossroads here right now. Um, it's seven o'clock in Israel. And um, at this point, it's still Yom, Hazi Yom Hazikaron here in Israel. And by the time we finish class, it's going to be after Shkia. So it's going to already be Yom Hazmaut. So we're going to have that kind of crossover um, in the class of going from, you know, very solemn uh, Memorial Day, as somebody said, the first time they were in America and they saw that Memorial Day had sales, they like didn't know what to do with themselves because here there are no six degrees of separation and everybody knows some, somebody. So uh, it's been a very interesting, weird, strange kind of Yom Hazikaron. Usually we are, we go to Mount Herzl and we're there and uh, it was very moving and to be, you know, in the house when the siren was going off and it was different. So uh, so our, our class is really a crossover from a commemorative class for the soldiers and victims of terror. And it's gonna cross over into the, you know, Yom Hatzmud at the end of, at the, end of the class. Um, this week we are again, um, Celebrating, marking, learning a double parsha. Okay, this week we have we have uh, Achrimos and Kedoshim going on. So, as a quick um, as a quick overview of our parsha. So, uh, if you have a chumash, anybody there? You have a chumash with you? Anybody have a chumash by Yikra with you? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Eh, no. If anybody wants to quickly grab a chumash, I could use your help for this next one. So Achremos starts at, um, hum, 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 I marked half of the pages. It starts on, it's in Vayikra from Peretesvav, no, Tezayin, from chapter 16. And the majority, the first half of the Torah portion really talks about 
the service of the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur, which we're going to get back to. The second half of, to, to loosely, hey, hey, the second half of the, um, of the Parsha, to loosely break it out, to break it up, basically from the 6th six, the and 7th aliyahs in Achrimos, really talk about what's called Arayot, all the forbidden sexual relationships that Jews are prohibited to have. And then we're going to go, and then we go into Parsha's Kedoshim. Parsha's Kedoshim starts from chapter 19, verse 1, and it goes till, and it goes till, uh, goes till chapter 20, verse 25. Now, I can't give you in the Parsha, okay? That's a lot of mitzvahs. So what I would like, anybody who has a chumash with them, if you could look at Parsha's Kedoshim, and before we get started, just take a minute or two and look and give me a mitzvah that you find that catches your eye. Something interesting, something weird, something distressing, something you have a lot to choose from. Okay? So as soon as you find a mitzvah that you want to share with us, you'll give us chapter and verse, unmute yourself, and, uh, and let us know. So we could share along, and then we're going to work together. We're going to talk about some things from Achrimos, Kedoshim, because this week we do, in fact, have a joint Parsha, so they are together, but at least to get some kind of an idea of what's going on all over the Parsha. Okay, Jenna, looks like she has one. I see a smirk. Jenna, yeah. give us, give us yeah. chapter and verse. Okay, chapter one. No, chapter 19, verse 31. One second, one second. Chapter 19, verse 31. Okay. Do not, Tell me. Do not turn to ghosts and do not inquire of familiar spirits to be defiled by that. I am the Lord your God. Okay, so Edonim, which is two versions of sorcery. One is um, using a bone of a of a dead person to. Uh, um, get communications from beyond. And one is some sort of version of speaking from the armpit. I don't know, I'm not familiar with these practices. They are in fact real practices, but because they're real doesn't mean that we should do them. Okay, the fact that there are, there is the possibility of getting information and communing with spirits um, and getting, you know, song, you know from, the, from the beyond, I would not advise you to go pay anybody to have your tarot read, read or, um, I'm not sure how much that's real and how much that's just like good body language. But in biblical times, there was in fact a real practice of communing with the dead and a real thing. You could do it and Jews were not supposed to do it. Okay. I see a Tanya who maybe lit up for a second, but I don't know who that is. Could you give us some video also? Who else has a mitzvah? Molly has a mitzvah. Molly, unmute yourself. Yeah. You're going to have to like um, speak up. People. <laughs> so chapter Molly, 17. Chapter and verse. Chapter what? 17, verse 13. 17, 13. Chapter 17. Okay, I don't, one second. Verse 13. Uh -huh. No, 17 is not in, is in, is in Achremos. Oh, we're only doing for, oh, uh, okay. I'm looking okay. just for Kedoshim. Just Kedoshim? Okay, never mind. Just in Kedoshim, just get a, a remind. But if you want to go, we can go there. 17, what do you have? Chapter 17, because it's in there anyway, we're covering it. 
chapter 17, verse? 13. 13. Um, so, and any man of the children of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them, who traps a quarry of a wild animal or bird that may be eaten and sheds its blood, he shall cover it with dust. Right. And this was fun just because we, like, on... Um, for Kaparot, Before Yom Kippur. this is something exactly. that we're able to actually do as a biblical right. mitzvah. Exactly. It's a biblical mitzvah of covering the death, the blood of an animal that is slaughtered. Um, and, and it's something that you don't usually get to do. But if you're in Israel or some other countries where you actually get to see somebody slaughter a chicken or an animal, usually happens around Erev uh, Yom Kippur time. Uh, for those, unlike me, who are squeamish and who don't go. But yes, you have a chance to do a biblical commandment that doesn't come around so often. Who else has a mitzvah for us? Somebody. No? I mean, I can keep talking. I have no problem. Okay. So some other things that it talks about in Parsha's Kedoshim, for example, I marked a couple of things that I thought were interesting. First of all, in chapter 19, Verse uh, 16, it says, You should not have somebody, Rachel is really a peddler, but the, but the implication is somebody who goes and chit, 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 chit. Um, and do not stand on the blood of your fellow. I am the Lord your God. Um, here's a prohibition against slandering, gossiping, um, and, and it's akin to, to, uh, to, to manslaughter. Well, not manslaughter, bloodshed. I don't know exactly what level of whatever it would be, but uh, that place and where somebody's like, oh, it was, I didn't mean anything. I was just harmless. Ani Hashem. The Pasuk finishes off, I'm the Lord your God. In general, we find that mitzvahs that are often um, very subjective in nature that you can't tell from the behavior what the intention was they very often have Ani Hashem attached to them. Okay, you can fool your neighbors, you can fool yourself, but God's like, I really know what's going on over here. Um, if anybody else, by the way, comes up with another mitzvah that they'd like to share, be my guest. Um, it talks about in chapter 19, verse 23, it tells you about uh, when you come into the land and you plant a tree, all different kinds of trees. So the first three years, you're not allowed, to, fruit tree, sorry, when you're not allowed to use a fruit for the first three years. And then it continues and it says that in the fourth year, its fruit are holy and you can only eat them by near God, meaning in Jerusalem. Parenthetically, we've spoken about this multiple times that the Torah has given many opportunities for people to come to Jerusalem to with money that they have to give out to charity or food that has to be eaten in Jerusalem. So it's definitely become a magnet uh, for, for, uh, for people to come and say, hey, you know, you're coming with your, your fourth year produce that has to be eaten before you leave. We're happy to help you eat it. Um, so there's definitely be, it's become a place and a magnet. And those of us who live in Jerusalem, those of us who have lived in Jerusalem know that that energy of, oh, you're in Jerusalem and you'd love to share with me and give me stucky here and there um that definitely is a carryover and then it continues and it tells us sorry that the fourth year that fruit is holy and has to be uh eaten in jerusalem and the fifth year it's yours to do whatever you want and basically by refraining from using it for the time that we refrain from using it we then make all of our use of the, of the fruit holy not going to hold the tithes and blah, blah, blah. That's a different conversation, but I thought it was an interesting thing. Just to give you a little bit of a, uh, a scope of what's going on here. I mean, we have 50 mitzvahs, there's a lot of them. Um, parenthetically, most of the mitzvahs are negative 
commandments over here. Thou shalt not do this, thou shalt not do that. Um, hmm. Oh, this is very interesting, okay? Okay, why did I mark this? Okay, chapter 19, verse, uh, sorry, chapter 20, verse 1. We have the prohibition against, uh, uh, that Hashem says to Moshe and to Jewish people who should speak, either little, um, for anybody, the prohibition of giving your children over to Molech. Now, Molech was a, an idol. It was actually worshipped in the valley called Gehinom. If anybody knows, that's the valley between the Cinematech and the Old City. So we know where that is. And the process of get the, the service of, of, of Molech was that you take a child and you pass the child through two pillars of fire. Um, and there's lots of noise and, and, and the sages are divided, whether you are in fact killing the child if the child dies or is just traumatized for life. Um, there's about equal amounts of sages in both directions who, um, who vote in either direction. So it's not necessarily that the child died, uh, but again, it's half and half, you know, the numbers are about half and half like that. And what's interesting to me is that the Torah must mention, I don't know, five, six, at least five times that I can think of off the top of my head, that the Torah mentions this prohibition against giving your children to Moloch. And it seems such a counterintuitive kind of thing, like, really? Really? Like, what is, the, you know, like, are we such a superstitious people that we're going to give our, our children to Moloch to 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 have them die and and, and the, the theory was that it would give life to your the, either to the rest of your children to this children like and there were levels within molech like how close you could get you know depending on the gift that you brought if you brought some flour you got to go to the first gate and if you brought wine you got to go to the second gate and you brought a bird and the child yay you were awesome you got to go all the way to like the sixth or seventh gate of molech like really really who thought this was a good idea not only that but the tire mentioned it so many times that um, it has to have been very, very common. And here's Rivka Marga's editorializing. You don't have to take it or leave it. But I feel that very often we push our children to do things that we think is going to be good for them. And it's our version of Molech. You know, whether it's the parents, you know, you've heard me rail against baby beauty pageant queens. I'm not going to go into that again. But um, whether you feel like your child should be a doctor, uh, uh, whatever, um, come on, fill in the blanks, whatever it is, something, a pianist, a chess player, uh, a groundbreaking research, whatever, it doesn't matter what it is, but if it's your dream and your goal, and you feel that this is what the child needs to do, and maybe it isn't exactly what the child wants or is really best for this child, then are we perhaps guilty of the same thing? Are we perhaps guilty of, so to speak, burning our children up to Molech and, and not seeing what is in fact the best way for them to serve God? Um, so I think, I think it's very interesting that the Torah brings it here. And what else did I mark? Somebody else must have marked this, but it says here, but if you curse your parents, then you're punishable by death, but I definitely didn't mark that. Um, um, then the end of the end of Kedoshim has a parallel to the end of Acharimos, 
and it has where the end of Achrimos, we said, had all the arayot, had all the forbidden relationships. In Kedoshim, it's restated as, if you do, then you will. Um, meaning the punishment is not the first time in, in Achrimos. It's only listed as, a, you shouldn't do it, but in Kedoshim, it's listed as, um, if you do this, this is the punishment for it. And it, there's lots of stuff that's going on. Now, we are doing so fine for time. This is great, wonderful. Okay, now let's go look at a couple of things, okay? So we got a little bit of an overview of what's going on in the two Torah portions, and now I wanna delve a little bit more into some of the details. Okay, so in the beginning of Parshas Achare, which is chapter 16, as we said, Yes, Hashem says to Moshe, the, par- the Chumash starts off, and it's not the Chumash, the Parsha starts off, and it says, Moshe. Hashem speaks to Moshe, mot shnei bnei Aharon, after the death of the two children of Aaron, when they drew close to Hashem and they died. And then we don't hear another conversation. We don't hear what happened after that. The next verse, Pasuk, Pasuk Beis, verse 2 says, Vayomer Hashem el Moshe. Hashem says to Moshe, Daber Allah speak to Aaron, your brother. He should not come at any time that he wants into the holy, into the holy, he's basically saying not to come into the holy of holies where the ark is, and he shouldn't die, but he should come with the Anan, he should come to the Kaporet, which is basically the introduction to the whole service of the the whole the whole long service of the of the of the coin gadol on Yom Kippur. Okay, so the first thing before we get into the service of, the, of of Yom Kippur, which is very fascinating, we have to discuss it a little bit. But I want to first start with this little this this conversation, meaning Torah's kind of sparing in its words; it doesn't just randomly like say stuff. So we have what seems to be an introduction to the Parsha and no follow-up. Hashem says to Moshe, after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they brought, came close to Hashem and they died, okay, and said what? Where do we go with this information? No, there's a restatement. And the next passage, Hashem says to Moshe, speak to the Aaron, blah, 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 right? And it's going to go on for, for a bunch of aliyahs. All of Rish and Shani, most of Shlishi, are going to talk about the service of, of the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur. So we have to look at this for a second and say, what's going on here? Why, why do we need to bring up, and the whole Parsha is called Acharei or Acharei Mot, after the death. Now, it doesn't really talk about Aaron's children, except for that first throwaway line almost. It's like, I see questions or head scratch. Jen, a question? No, okay. Just trying to see if like, if random stretches or a question. You gotta like be clear with me because I'm, yeah, kind of new to this whole Zoom thing. Um, so let's take a look, first of all, at Rashi. What does Rashi have to tell us? So Rashi tells us, um, and he quotes of the long, right from, everybody remembers from Mrs. Hendel, what Rashi quotes as his, his headline is significant. And here it says that, that Hashem speaks to Moshe after the death of the two children of Aaron, etc. And what is what Matamud or what is it coming to teach us? Hayy Rabbi Elazar ben Azaria. Anybody remember Elazar ben Azaria? Elazar ben Azaria. Where did we have him recently around our table? Pesach. Pesach. Who said Pesach? Jordan, right? Elazar ben Azaria. Hareyani Kiven Shivim Shana, right? I am as if I'm 70 years old. Elazar ben Azaria. 
gave a gave a moshlo moshel. He gave a parable. Lechol shenichnas etzel rofe. I can't actually see this so well. My glasses are probably not working so well. A sick person who goes to a doctor, Amar Lo, and he says, and the doctor says to him, don't eat cold things. And don't sleep on a cold surface. Okay? And somebody else comes, Amar Lo, and the doctor says to him, don't eat cold things. And don't, and don't sleep on cold surfaces. Because or else you're going to die like so-and-so died. Okay, and uh, and the second person is clearly more, I don't know, scared, warned, um, power, empowered, charged, like, you're going to die. Dude, you're going to die, just like so-and-so. You know that person? You want to have what their ending is? No? Fine, don't do that. Okay? And that Rashi concludes after the death of the two sons of Aaron. So clearly, this first this first pasuk is coming to tell us somehow uh, your relationship with the Holy of Holies, your relationship with the Kippurah that we're going to discuss in a second. It has to be you have to be very careful. Now, what's very interesting? Take a look at the examples that the doctor gave, right? Uh, Rebbe Lazar Ben-Azariah, what are the examples that he gave? Don't drink cold and don't go onto the cold floor. What is that, you know, think for yourself. When do you want to like guzzle cold drinks and put your head against stone floors? How are you feeling in that, in that mood? Why do you need to do that? Nora, why? You're hot. Because you're very hot. Because you're very, very hot. So you're going to drink cold. You're going to go to the cold floor. So we're, we're, the, the implication is when you are heated up, when you are on fire and you want to like cool down quickly, no, 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 don't do that. That's not the best idea. That's not the best way to do it. It's going to only make you sick. You think you really want to drink cold water. A little bit of my, uh, you know, retranslation of the Rashi. You think you want to drink cold water. No, it's just because you're so hot. Really what you need to do to lower your temperature from the Middle East, we know this. Drink tea, you know, don't don't drink cold. It's really not so good for you. Okay. So so this hyperlink, this kind of like little hint into the story of, of Nadav and Avihu, which we was Parsha Shemini, which we did not get to. So this little kind of opening statement of of the Pasuk saying, don't, don't do what they did. Um, gives us the 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 place to open up the conversation for a second, or maybe more than two seconds, on on Nadav and Avihu, right? And um, because I mean, Hashem put it right here. Like we didn't have a chance to talk about it in Shemini because we didn't have class, so we're going to just take a second, right? What what was the story with Nadav and Avihu? That it was the eighth day of after they the dedication had started. It was actually the first day that the Kohanim were actually in service. Moshe had done the service the first seven days. On the eighth day, Aaron and his sons get, you know, they're, they're in charge. They're bringing all the sacrifices and the glory of Hashem comes down. And all of a sudden, Nadav and Aviyu bring a foreign fire and they, they die. And it says that Hashem came and they, they die. And, you know, and then and the end of Shemini was the show must go on and Aaron and his remaining sons need to continue and need to um, need, need to bring the sacrifices and they need to not mourn their ch their children and their brothers and they need to 
they need to really be kind of stoic and not ruin the celebration for the Jewish people. The Jewish people would do the mourning on their behalf, and that's what's going to happen. Now, the Mepharshim will talk about it, and they're like, what's going on? What happened over here? And perhaps the Rashi that we have over here is also going to kind of add into that, right? That there was a place that Nadav and Avihu were on such fire to become close to Hashem, right? So most of the Mepharshim say, most of the commentaries say that they sinned and then they died and that's it. Now we know that if you've been in a Hasidic class, you know, but it actually starts from the Archaim is the first one who postulates, not even postulates, he says it was not a sin. They did not do a sin. They were so enraptured with God. They wanted to be so close to God. They knew it was going to cost them their life, but they wanted to be, and he brings beautiful language. They wanted to be reyav, vahuva. I don't remember all the, the language because of course I didn't write it down. And they wanted to be so close. So the Archive said they knew what they were getting into. They knew that the cost was going to be death and still that's where they wanted to go. They wanted to take it to that degree and that's what, and, and then what happened. Now, what, what is the, what is, what's going on over here? Here we're being introduced to the service in the, of, of the Beis HaMikdash. We're, we're being introduced to the Ketoris, which many of the, the Mepharsha, many of the commentators say was in fact the sin of Nadav and Avihu, that they in fact went with the Ketoris, whether they went in to the Holy or they went into the Holy of Holies. There's like, you know, there's a lot of conversation about what exactly it was that they did. Um, but there was definitely something that was unauthorized, right? Ejazar, it says in, in Parsha Shemidi, was something that was not uh, asked of from Hashem. And so therefore, the Archaim says they knew what the price was. They knew that what they were doing was not authorized. And they knew that what they were doing was punishable by death. And they did it anyway. And so therefore, what do we learn from this? And the Rebbe has a sikh where he talks about this. What do we learn from this? And the Rebbe says that essentially there are, you could say, almost three categories of things that we do for God. We have the mitzvahs from the Taira, which is equivalent to somebody saying, you know, I really like this. I really like vanilla ice cream. I really like, you know, could you get me some? Could you do this for me? And the person on the other end saying, oh, yeah, that's great. Now, we know in today, you know, in our language today, if we have a relationship where somebody asks the other person to do something and the other person actually does it, that's really good. That's, we're, we're not assuming like, oh, no, no, that's a really, that's a really great thing. Like if you're in a relationship with somebody and you ask them to do something and they, you know, they do it, that's really great. Okay. That's like mitzvahs that Hashem gives us from the Torah. Those are the mitzvahs that are like, you know, Hashem told us what we want and we, we, we do it. Great. Points for us. Then what happens? Have you ever been next to a little kid and you're eating something yummy and they say, you know, I like that. Or you're walking with a friend down, you know, down a thing and they're like, oh, well, those are really pretty earrings, right? Those are hints. Okay. With a kid, it may, with a little kid, it might not be such a hint because they're going to reach over and grab it in a second. But when somebody hints a desire to you and you pick up on it, that's even a higher level. I don't have to tell you this is what I want. I just kind of hint to it. And that's how the, that's how the Rebbe describes mitzvahs der Rabbanan. The mitzvahs that we have from the rabbis, every single one of those mitzvahs from the rabbis is held on by, it has a hint someplace in the Torah. We might, we, plain Jane Jew, I might not see the, I might not see the hint, but if it's a missing vav here, there's an extra hey here, there was something, there was an extra then the rabbis, the mitzvahs that we have from the rabbis, those are like getting the hints that Hashem is giving us, and that's mitzvahs derabanan. 
But then we have something that's called minhag. We have customs and customs don't show up. They, they're like, where did minhag come from? Minhag is like, you know, when you're browsing through in the olden days, when we used to go to malls, like we haven't been in malls for who knows how long, right? You're browsing through something and you see something and say, oh, they would love that. Oh my gosh, this is so perfect for them. I know they're going to like it. And you get it for the person who you're in a relationship with. You, they didn't ask for it. They didn't hint it. They're not even there. That's minhug. Minhug is we see behavior and we say, oh, God would absolutely love this. For example, Simchas Torah. The dancing on Simchas Torah is actually only a minhug, okay? It's how much joy is there, forget about the alcohol part of it, but how much joy is there dancing at Simchas Torah? Incredible, incredible, right? And then the mitzvahs that we have from the rabbis, Purim, Hanukkah, those are also like really high, but like you see like the crazy joy of Simchas Torah, that's where we actually tapped into a level of like, I think God would love this. Does somebody have a question? Oh, um, I, I'm just trying to figure out how to do the chat thing. Um, uh, so, so minhag is when we tap into something that we say, I think God would really love this. Where do we get that from? Where do we get that ability from? We actually get it from Nadav Anavihu. When it says that they had a service that was not commanded by Hashem, it's because they couldn't be commanded to do something super crazy. Hashem could command us to have these kind of mitzvahs. We have rabbi mitzvahs from the rabbis. These kind of mitzvahs we have, for example, in the Mishkan, we have the outer altar where we have physical sacrifices, an animal, and we know and we've learned Hasidus, and it's the animal within us and bringing it close to Hashem and our animal desires. And then what happens inside the, the Ketoris where we bring the inner, the inner, the, the Ketoris, the inside altar? This is where we bring ourselves closer to Hashem. Yes, the Kohen is going to bring spices, and yes, it's going to make a cloud, and it's going to be, you know, the incense is going to be, it's going to be a something, but it's not like, it's not as tangible as animals and wheat and, and grain and whatever wine we're bringing on the outside temple, that, uh, sorry, outside altar, that's for the outside altar. The inside altar, that's like, for me, coming closer to Hashem. And the sons of Aaron said, there's something like a little bit closer. That's like where we're going to just kind of do this. We're going to run in and we're going to do this. Now, the bottom line for the sons of Aaron was that was their version of almost minhag, of like, Hashem would love this. And what do we know happens after they pass away? Moshe says to Aaron, I knew that's, you know, Hashem was going to be sanctified by those who are holy and close to him. And Aaron said, Moshe says, Aaron, I thought it was going to be one of us. I knew there was going to be this price to pay. I thought it was going to be one of us. And now I see that your sons are greater than we are. And that what they basically taught us is that there is this ability to hold on tight to God and say, I just want to be with you. I just want to be close to you. I want to be tight with you. Hmm? And she's just finishing what she will. What does he want? Oh. Sorry, yeah. you're not talking to us if you don't mind. Two minutes. If you don't mind muting yourself, unless you have a question for us. Um, but then what happens? What, and then what happens? So this is the introduction to the service of of, the, of Yom Kippur, and on Yom Kippur, the Kohen Gadol, the pinnacle of all people, goes into the holy of holies. Right? It's called Achat Bishana the one person, the one time of year, and brings the, the Ketoris, it's person, place, space, everything coming together once 
and it's going to infuse the entire Jewish people for the rest of the time. But the introduction to that is don't go in hot-headed. Don't go in hot. Remember, Elazar ben Azari is telling us, don't go in, don't go in, you know, like don't try to re, re, rework your heat with cold. You have to come in balance. And really, really, when you're going into the Kaidish Kedoshin, you got to do it how God wants. You got to do it how Hashem wants. Now, the, the passion that Nadav and Aviyu had, that's the good thing. That's the part we want to hold on to. We don't want to, here's my, my disclaimer. You don't get to do whatever you want and say, but I'm doing it for God, so therefore it's a good thing because God really wants that. Unless you're actually like on the level of Nadav and Aviyu who are really like, you know, like the real McCoy, uh, you don't get to say that. Like most of us, we should kind of, figure out how it is that we bring our passion into the things that Hashem tells us to do. And I think that if you take a look for, if you go into Kedoshim, we have the, the whole meeting, the whole, we have more conversation over here on Yom Kippur, which we're going to get back to for a second, but Kedoshim is going to go, Achrimos and Kedoshim are tied together. Many, many years are together. So what are we, what are, what's the first thing that we have to hear? We're hearing, we need to take this passion of being crazy for God and we need to bring it down into how we treat our neighbors and how we are fair with our business dealings and how we don't talk about other people and about, you know, how we don't give our children to idol worship and how we don't engage in idol worship and our relations, our, our sexual relations, everything, all that, all those details that we have in Kedoshim are tied to Achrimos because they're a tag team. Meaning what, what we're being asked to do is to take that fire from Nadav and Avihu and pull it down into Kedoshim. Put it down into the majority of the mitzvahs in Kedoshim are not uh, us and God. They're us and other people. There are our, our relationships with other people, business dealings, social social justice, all this kind of stuff is what's going on in, um, in Kedoshim. And so what's happening in Akhra is we're saying, we're taking that, that crazy passion and we're gonna channel it. Okay, so that's gonna be, we're gonna get back to Kedoshim in a second, but I do wanna spend a couple of minutes looking into the service of, of, uh, of, the, of uh, Yom Kippur. Any questions, comments till, up until this point? Yes, yes, no, no? Okay. I'm gonna keep going, I can keep talking, you know me. Okay. Um, so a couple of interesting things. First of all, um, I, I, I know that we know it, but I think it's important to restate it, is that in the times of the Beis HaMikdash, there was no long machzer that we were counting how many pages until we can break our fast. Okay, that's not how the service went. Um, you know, Rabbi Yitzchak says he doesn't understand why there needs to be a commandment not to eat on Tishabov or on Yom Kippur. Why does it have to be a commandment not to eat? He's like on Tishabov, who could eat, and on Yom Kippur, who wants to eat? Did you get it? Anyway, um, so so what happened in Yom Kippur back in the day was that um, thank you, Sarah. What what uh, happened back in the day was that people would get as close as they could to Yerushalayim to um, to see the avoda. It was a spectator sport, and the and the avoda was done by and large by the Kayan Gadol, exclusively by the Kayan Gadol. He did everything. 
Um, so for the, the week before Yom Kippur, the Kayin Gadol was secluded from his family. He had to be married, um, and, but he wasn't allowed to be with his wife for the week before. And he did the entire service by himself. That means he did the regular service, the menorah and the, the regular uh, carbon tamid and all the thing. And he also did all the service of Yom Kippur by himself, including slaughtering of the animals, including including doing uh, sprinkling here and going here and schlepping and doing and being. The Kaigadol was was on, uh, tw- you know, all the way off, all for that whole time. And so, a couple of things that he had over there, which I think is interesting. One of the first things that the Kaigadol did was they took they used to bring two goats that were identical, and they would have one that was offered up. Uh, they would have a lottery over them. This is in uh, Tes Zion, Pesach Zion, and Chesim Tes. We talk about you take two goats and they'd stand. They would put them in front of the Kain Gadol, and he would uh, he would put a girl on each of them. They would have a lottery, and one would go would be offered for Hashem, and one would be Lazazel, which in modern Hebrew is a curse word. When you tell somebody to go to Azazel, it's not nice. Um, but in the Beis Hamikdash, they actually said the uh, there was somebody prepared from before Yom Kippur, and um, his job was to take whichever goat ended up Lazazel, and he had to take it to the desert. It's there. There's a cliff in the Judean desert, um, and he would go there. And what's interesting, the Gemara tells us that because they knew beforehand which person had the job to take the goat uh, to 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 that place, they would find out beforehand. Um, what were all the person's, this person's favorite foods? Because this person did not actually have to fast on Yom Kippur. He had to go with the goat all the way to the Judean desert, okay? It's far. And every, um, every Tchum Shabbos, there's a certain amount you're allowed, to, you're allowed to walk outside of the city limits before, if it's not inhabited. So at the, at, at the point where he would be like crossing that boundary, they used to set up people with a sukkah and they would wait for him and they would have all his food that he would like, food and drinks that this person liked. And he was able to break his fast if he wanted. It was hot, it was schwitzy, whatever. And every, all the way through till the last bit. And then he went to the, he went to the cliff where he, uh, he took the, he, 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 threw, he left the goat over there, he threw it over and then he came back. And what's interesting, the Gemara says that in the history of doing the Avaida in the young, in, in the base of Mikdash, they never had anybody who actually ate the food, even though they were allowed to. Okay. And there's an expression, pat bisalo, bread in your basket, that the knowing that you had the ability to eat it, knowing the ability, knowing that you, it was there ready for you, gave you enough strength that they didn't actually ever eat it. They were allowed to, they were hundred percent allowed to, and they never did. And that was just, you know, and there was, there was a whole, there are two identical goats. There's, there's a lot of stuff going on over here. Um, and the other thing that, which is interesting about the, the service of the Kaingado was that some of the service he did in the eight clothing, eight, the eight different garments that the Kaingado has, right? There's four that all Kohanim wear, and there's four that the Kaingado has in addition. So the four basics are pure white, they're linen. Uh, tunic, uh, pants, basically knickers that go to your knees. I don't know if I said something rude in another language. Um, and a hat and a belt. Right? I thought yeah, I did, right? Um, and the coin gutlet on, ta- on top of that had 
um, had uh, the, the breastplate and the and the apron, the aphod, and the meil, and the the gold thing, Kodesh Atzitz, Kodesh Lashem. When he did the the regular service, bringing the lighting the menorah, bringing the carbon tamid, um, all the regular service, he did it in what's called Shmon Begadim. He did it in the eight article, the eight clothing, the eight garments of the Kohen Gadol. Whenever he did the specific for Yom Kippur service, he only did it in four. So that means he would change from the eight to the four, and every single time he changed, he had to go to the mikvah. So there was actually a mikvah on premises in the base of Mikdash. They would put up a curtain. The Kohen would go to the mikvah and come back and have changed his, changed his clothes behind the mikvah, behind the, no, change his clothes behind the curtain, and then come back and do. So there were five times that the Kohen Gadol had to change his clothes. He started in the eighth, then he went to the white, then he went to the eighth, and then he went to the white, and then he went to the eighth. And every single time he had to go to the mikvah and he had to change his clothes and continue with the service. The highlight of, uh, of his service was he actually went into the Kodesh Kodesh and went to the Holy of Holies twice. The first time was when he took the Ketoris in and he left it there. And then when he came back afterwards and he removed it from the, from the Holy of Holies. And when he did, when he came out the second time, he would say a short prayer. This is all, if anybody ever, you know, all those words that the Chazan says in the repetition of uh, Musaf, the service of the Kohen Gadol that most of us kind of count the pages till it's over. Um, so you'll see it's, it's, in those, it's in those pages. It talks about, it. he said a short prayer that women should not miscarry and there should be plentiful rain. And when he, when, he left the, when he left the Holy of Holies the second time, there was an incredible, incredible, incredible celebration that they had, they had come through the service that, it, you know, that he was able to, that he survived, that he was able to do it, that the people were forgiven. And in, in the Beis Hamikdash, in the times of the temple, they actually had a thread hanging and it was a red thread. And, um, and when they were forgiven, it actually turned white. And so the people were able to have like proof on the spot, like, yay, this worked. So they didn't sit and say lots of prayers. They were like just there being, you know, like the support system for the Kohen Gadol while he was doing his service. I just thought of a story that's not really related, but I'm going to say it anyway, because it's kind of a little bit related. And I like the story. So they tell us, there's a story told of the Baal Shem Tov, as we say, the holy Baal Shem Tov, that he used to daven um, and at great for, 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 for a long, long time. And one time he was davening for a very, 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 very long time. And the people who were part of his minion were starting to get antsy because like it was going longer than usual. And he was like, you know, like it just wasn't ending. So they slowly started to slip away um, and whatever, make kiddish, maybe they were hungry. I don't know exactly what they were going. And they figured they had plenty of time because based on how it's going till this point, like they had a lot of time. And all of a sudden the news came that the davening was over. And afterwards they said to the, they said to the Holy Baal Shantav, like, what happened? Like, you know, what happened? It was, you know, we, we for sure had another hour there and then all of a sudden it was over. And the Vashantav explained that he was building on their presence, on their prayers, and he was able to go higher because he was essentially spiritually standing on them. The second they walked away, he had nothing to hold on to and he fell back down to earth. So whatever he was trying to do, 
he, he, you know, whatever. He didn't quite get there because they all left. So really that's what the people in the Beis Amikdash did for the Kohen Gadol. They were in fact his support system to make sure that he knew that the people were there with him sending their, their you know, they're sending their, their davening, whatever their personal prayer was. There was no, there was no sitter. There was no master for them to have off, you know, organized prayer, but people were praying from their, on their own. And they understood this was a solemn day. All the prohibitions of Yom Kippur were still there, but they just didn't have the actual master. And so they were uh, there with the Kohen Gadol waiting for him to come out. And there's a massive, massive celebration when he came out. Um, and please God, you know, maybe this year even we'll be able to be part of the support system for the Kohen Gadol as he, as he does his service in the Beis HaMikdash. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. Can't wait for that. Um, now, um, one more thing on then. Uh, Marga. Yes. Ask a question. Absolutely. I am, I don't know if like anything ever addresses this, but was there ever like a fire concern that they're like carrying fire all over the place and there's like curtains and threads hanging? Like, was that ever a thing? Why are they carrying, they're not carrying, they're not carrying curtains. It's not yeah. fire. It's, it's, it's coals. Okay. So I mean, it's not, it's not like you're walking around with torches. That's what they did when they took the coin guttle home. They walked around with torches. Mm -hmm. um, if, if you've been around Israel, we have a, like, there is a sort of casual um, <laughs> attitude towards fire. Have you not seen Lagba over this country where they have these little nine-year-olds building, uh, building uh, these, 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 you know, bonfires? Um, the truth is I haven't seen it addressed, but, but uh you know, of all the of all the miracles that we talk about in the base of Mikdash, that's not one of the ones that gets that gets mentioned, which clearly means it wasn't a big issue. The bigger things, you know, in Perkyovis, where you know this we're we're doing Perkyovis on Shabbosim now, you know, we talk about the miracles of the base of Mikdash, we talk about that no woman ever miscarried from the scent of all the burning meat. It talks about and, and everybody talks about uh, that nobody ever said, Sarli Hamakam Biyushalayim, there's not enough place for me in Jerusalem. And the commentators on Perkyov say it's not that it wasn't squishy, but for a change, nobody complained. <laughs> you know, those are the, those are considered the miracles. The I guess the 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 fire control was not such an issue. And the truth of the matter is that the Katoris was not burning fire. Okay, the Katoris was was coal. It was it was gonna be much more you can't see my hand, I just realized. I'm doing this, but you can't see it. It's like a spoon. It's it's a spoon full of coal. It's not a big torch. It's a, it's not a spoon. It's like a little shovel kind of thingy. It's not a massive amount, and it's not fire. It's coal. The big fire was on a mizbeach, you know, and that was massive. And that was that was a, it wasn't a fire hazard. It was just very dangerous. And there was a conversation, you know, like there is a conversation about how they maneuver around the not so much in the Mishkan, not in the tabernacle, but in the temple, which we spoke about in class, the Mizbeach in the temple was 32 feet by 32 feet. Somebody translated into meters if you need it. It was very big. There were five, either three or five fires on it, the one main central, and at least two, there's a conversation with Gemara, if there were another two or another four. To maneuver, you could have a lot of Kohanim walking on the surface of the Mizbeach, and the question was, how do they do it without burning themselves? That is, was in fact, is in fact a conversation. They're not worried so much about them burning their clothing, but they're burning their feet, burning their hands. They're, they're dealing with very, very hot surfaces. That is absolutely a conversation. But the Mizbeach is, the, mizbeach, the outside Mizbeach is where the fire issue is, not inside. Okay. Um, 
My pleasure. Okay, what else? Oh, this is something that I want to talk about. Okay. The introduction to, to Parsha's Kedoshim, because it's, it's kind of interesting because we have two Parshas, but they're really two very separate, they're not very separate, but they have so many ideas in both of them. But, um, but the introduction to Parsha Kedoshim, in chapter 19, verse 1 and 2, Hashem says to Moshe, saying, Dabr el kol das speak to the whole congregation of the Jewish people, and say to them, Kedoshim you, you should be holy, because I am holy, I am the Lord your God. And then it's very interesting because, as we said, Parshas Kedoshim goes into a whole long slew of interpersonal mitzvahs. And when we're, you know, if you want to think about like, you know, to be holy, like that's not holy. Like, uh, what does it start off with? You know, fearing your father and mother and keeping Shabbos and not to, you know, serve idols. Like, spiritual, that's not, that's not holy. That's not spiritual. Spiritual should, and I like, no, 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 no. That is exactly what holy is. Holy is, can you bring down, uh, can you bring down this wow energy? Can you bring down this high of connectedness in a place of mundane behavior? Can that love for God, that crazy love for God that we feel, can that be expressed in how you save, how you keep part of your field for, for the poor, how you take care of your animals, how you, all these kind of things that we talk about in, in Parsh Kedoshim, you know, uh, that's really what the conversation is. The conversation is not, do, the, do we do these big grand movements for God, but can we do small, personal, interpersonal movements for God? That's what Kedoshim is. And essentially, I think that the, the question of Kedoshim um, especially how Hasidus looked at it a lot, is, you know, first of all, Tyre has an opinion about should we do things or should we not do things? You know, this is forbidden, this is prohibited, this is permitted, this is what we're allowed to do, this is what we're not allowed to do. Excuse me. But the question of Kedoshim is going beyond the question of can I or can I not do something? The question of Kadoshim, first of all, practically speaking, Kadoshim, which is also translated as holy, is also translated as separate, that this place of being slightly separate, of, of, of delineated, of, of set aside for holiness. But especially when you look at this, how, how, how uh, Hasidus talks about it, Kadoshim, the question that Kadoshim wants to ask or wants to answer is not, can I do something? The question is, should I do something? Is the, the question that Kedoshim wants us to think about is not, even though this Parsha really has a lot of mitzvahs of a, you do this, don't do that. But really, really, really the question that Kedoshim asks us or demands that we ask of ourselves is not, am I allowed to do this or am I not allowed to do this? Because that's much more basic than Kedoshim. There's halacha. You can you do it? Can't you do it? You don't know. Learn it. Ask. You know. Ask your friend. Ask your rabbi. Ask Google. Somebody knows the answer. Can I do this or can I not do this? Right. But the question of should I do this? Is this good for me personally? That's a much bigger question. The question of is this good for me in my my soul in this body in this incarnation here where I am right now. 
Yes, the starting line is, I'm allowed to do this. Torah says, I'm allowed to do this. But I need to ask myself, is it holy? Is it going to bring me closer to God? Or is it going to be bring me further from God? And we're only talking about things that are permitted. I'm not talking about, oh, should I go have my double bacon cheeseburger on Yom Kippur? That happens to be on a Shabbos as well. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about within something that I am allowed to do. It is 100% permitted. And if we're honest with ourselves, we all know that there are things that Torah says you could do this. And we know that for ourselves, it's just not good for us. It doesn't bring us to a holier, more uplifted place. It brings us to a place that makes us want to stay in bed with Ben and Jerry's and, you know, whatever, and not, not go and, 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 and do things. And, and the, I think that the charge of Kedoshim is where we need to ask ourselves, what am I supposed to do? You know, my mother was once on a diet and she wasn't allowed to eat tomatoes. I said, what's wrong with tomatoes? This diet, they weren't, you know, that was their, that was their thing. They weren't allowed to eat tomatoes. So when she cheated on her diet, she ate a tomato and she didn't eat cookies. So maybe that was the psychology of it. I don't know that that's what the answer is, but I feel that the place that Kedoshim talks to us None of us are stupid, okay? We're, we all are pretty self-aware. We have our finger on the pulse of what, who we are and where we are. And we know specific behavior, if it's good for us, does it bring us closer to Hashem or, does it, or is it not so good for us? So I want to give us all a bracha that we have this combined energy of Achrimos and Kedoshim. We have this charge that we are capable of crazy love for Hashem just like Nadav and Avihu, and we have the ability to bring it down in our everyday actions, in our behavior, in the way we talk to people, in the way we act with people. Yeah, that was Rachel. And, and, um, and I want to give us a bracha that we take that crazy passion and don't get carried away with it. The place of Nadav and Avihu, for them, it wasn't a punishment, but for us, the bigger charge is can we take that passion and can we pull it down into the world? Can we bring it into our interactions with each other? Can we bring it into our behavior? And can we really, really, really make choices that bring us closer to Hashem and not say, oh, but you're allowed to do it. Really, it's okay. Bemet, bemet for ourselves, for me. I'm not saying for you. What is it that we're doing that's for us not bringing us closer to Hashem? And can we be brave enough and honest enough to move forward and to use this time to actually really kadoshimanach. We can be we can be holy because we're we're emulating God, and we want to do things that bring us closer to Hashem. So I want to give us a bracha that we be honest, that we be courageous, and that we be able to step forward with crazy passion, bring it down for Hashem, and bring us closer to Hashem. Amen. Love you guys. Have an awesome rest of the day. Um, I'm going to have to end. My pleasure. I'm going to uh, have to end this class because we've had a problem with classes. Not like the recording goes as one long recording. So I'm going to end it and then just re then just uh, log back in. Okay. Love you guys. Thank you. Your best. Bye. Bye.